Welcome to another episode of the Feminist Survival Project 2020. It's a podcast for people who believe that being a woman is neither a medical condition nor a moral failing and who feel overwhelmed and exhausted by everything they have to get done and still worry that they're not doing enough. Mm. This is Emily Nagoski. And I'm Amelia Nagoski. And 2020, it's, um, here it comes. It's going to yeah. be a shit show. Yep. We are here to help you survive it. This week's episode is brought to you by the paperback release of paperback. our book. It is really beautiful. If you have been enjoying the things that you've been learning on the podcast and you'd like to know more, feel free to order the paperback. Oh, here comes the puppy. Hi, puppy. Very excited. Hello, Oh, she's eating my hair. We adopted a puppy. Ooh. She's wonderful and uh, makes our life very difficult. <laughs> anyway. Urine everywhere. Okay, anyway, so paperback. Uh, we think you like the book. The best thing about the paperback over the podcast is the bibliography. If you want to go find out why this stuff is true and where the research comes from and how the research was done, I love a bibliography. You're going to go and find out why these things are true. I would have needed that. We wrote this book for 21-year-old Amelia, who was skeptical of everything that we talk about even though she's the art one and i'm the nerd science I, one I, yeah i 21 year old me would have been like nope show me the receipts well that's that's what it's in the bibliography so you like research more than average people do but i'm the one who was like the big nerd and went to grad school for the research uh so the reason why it's important for us to talk about the research before we do this is because the title of this episode is bubble of love bubble of love yeah. So the origin story of the bubble of love is that I was having tea at a house at Smith College where I worked because, of course, you have tea at Smith College. And a student yeah. of color very reasonably said, OK, so if what you're saying is that, like, your body needs to be a safe place for you to be, how does that make sense if there's literally no safe place for your body to be? Like, what if I'm not safe? Can I still find a place of safety inside my body? Yeah. And that is when I, I was thinking about all the research we had been reading, this really intensive affective neuroscience and two-person neuroscience. And I invented this phrase, bubble of love, <laughs> to describe this feeling that is beyond your own individual body and into a larger community. Because even if there is no safe place for you to go out into the world, what your body really requires is a place to come home to, a bubble of love where your body does feel safe, even though out in the larger world, your body isn't necessarily safe. And everybody who's ever sung in a choir or played in a band is like, oh, they had to do research to prove that's true because they already know. Yes, when you connect with other people, when you participate in this rhythmic way that bonds you physically in the world together through sound and through movement, you know that that changes, not just how you like, how you feel, but it changes who you are and the state of safety that you experience. And I think the reason I needed the research is because uh, we talked about this in the rest episode, right? Mm -hmm. Where giving connection is used as a weapon in human giver syndrome, yeah. where giving is constructed as draining, as only energy out and mm -hmm. never energy in. Mm -hmm. So connection is sort of inherently... Draining. Dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And here we are on a feminist podcast about wellness, talking about connection as medicine. 
Yeah, not just good for you, but necessary, necessary. for survival. Yeah. In a way that hardly anything else is. Maybe food, water, and sleep yeah. are necessary for you. So it turns out connection, giving, can be genuinely renewing. And, so, yeah, as and, we're reading the research, mm -hmm. there are two characteristics of a relationship that make it belong in the bubble of love, which is to say it is a relationship that is not dangerous, toxic, draining. It actually gives you more energy. Yeah. The two characteristics that define a bubble of love relationship, that's a relationship that is never toxic or draining. Well, sometimes it might be toxic or draining, but rarely is, is mostly nourishing and renewing. Yeah. That is a bubble of love relationship. The two characteristics are trust and connected knowing. So I'm going to talk primarily about trust and you talk primarily about connected knowing. Will do. Okay. So here we go with trust. I'm going to put my computer down and I'm just going to say the thing that I've been saying about trust for low these 15, maybe 20 years. Okay. So in the research, this is actually called the trust game. They use money. I'm going to use cupcakes because it's more fun to talk about cupcakes. It's actually used in economics research, not just psychology research. Right. Behavioral. Uh, buying behavior. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's say you and I are playing a game and we're in a basement in a psychology lab and uh, the researchers fun. have given me four cupcakes and a choice. Mm -hmm. I can take my cupcakes and go home, in which case I net four cupcakes, mm -hmm. or I can choose to give you any number of cupcakes that I wish to. Mm -hmm. Any cupcake I give you turns into three cupcakes. Oh, okay. So if I give you one cupcake, mm -hmm. I now have three. And you have three. Exactly. And if I give you two cupcakes, I have two. And you have six. Six cupcakes. So that's almost enough cupcakes. Then if you have any cupcakes at all, mm -hmm. you have a choice. You can take your cupcakes and go home. Six cupcakes. Or you can decide to give me back as many cupcakes as you choose. Mm. And that is the end of the game. Mm -hmm. So if I do not trust you, and in the research, like this is a stranger across the table from me. Right. I have these four cupcakes. What am I going to do? I don't trust you at all. So I'm going to keep the cupcakes. Take my cupcakes and go home. Absolutely. Go home, because yes. if I give you any cupcakes, that's only lost cupcakes. Yeah. But if I am willing to sort of go out on a limb, if I'm willing to trust a little bit, have an experiment, mm -hmm. you know what? If I give you two cupcakes, I've still got two. I net two cupcakes mm -hmm. and we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. So I give you two cupcakes and you end up having six. And it turns out you really are trustworthy. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? I'm going to give you back two. One, two. What's the math? Two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like you can, you can <laughs> so follow now your I've instincts. Got four and you've got four. Right. See, if I were the, if I were you in that case, I'd just give me one because then you'd have three and I'd have three and we'd be even. And then the game would be very, over very quickly. Yeah. So if you're on the receiving end of one that turns into three, and then you've got three and I've got three. That feels fair. And you would stop? You would not give me anything back? Correct. We both got three. It's fair. It's fine. See, if you're on the giving, if I'm on the giving side of that, if I'm like, here, you can have three and I have three and we're done, that'd be okay. Mm -hmm. But if I'm on the receiving end of like, you give me one so that you have three and I have three and now we're done, mm -hmm. I'd be like, well, that's fine. But if given the chance to give cupcakes to you, if you ever play this game again, yeah. Oh, yeah. Then you're like, okay. Well, you haven't learned anything from that. Exactly. From that yeah. I Which see. I think probably says something about you. <laughs> Which is why I use the example where I'm willing to go out on a limb <laughs> yeah. and give you two so that right. I have two. And now I've got six. 
Right. And I could give you two and we'd still be equal. Yeah, you'd have four and I'd have four and I didn't lose anything. This seems like a By huge trying a little bit. It seems like a huge risk to gain one cupcake each, though. Because with no risk at all, we could have both had three. And with this risk, you brought yourself down to two. You could have been left with only two, but you risked trying to get four by giving me. I walked in the door with no cupcakes. That's true. This is the nature of trust. Yeah. Are you going to like take that leap? But suppose I'm just like a big warm hearted person who like I walk in the door and I've got four cupcakes and Amelia has no cupcakes. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to like, I'm not going to be sad if I lose these cupcakes. Have all four cupcakes. This is crazy. I just met you, but here have all four cupcakes. Mm -hmm. And Amelia ends up with 12 cupcakes. 12 cupcakes. That's more than enough cupcakes. I give you all four. And now how many cupcakes do you have now? 12 cupcakes. Now suppose you are totally trustworthy. You have received these 12 cupcakes and what do you do? I give six back. Right. So now you have six and I have six. Perfect trust yeah. plus perfect trustworthiness maximizes cupcakes. Yeah. And it's twice as many cupcakes as the bare minimum amount of trust. As the bare minimum amount of trust versus no cupcakes where the second person gets zero cupcakes and right. the first one has four. Yeah. But four is more cupcakes than the truster, the, pers the first person has, if they trust at all, and the yeah. other person's not trustworthy. Mm -hmm. Let's pause here for a moment and recognize that cupcakes is a metaphor yeah. <laughs> for the things mm -hmm. we give and receive in relationships. Sometimes it is straight up, this is the point at which I'm going to break in and talk about the four kinds of social support, according to social support theory in public health. Social support theory says there are four kinds of social support. One is instrumental support, where if you are hungry, I give you a cupcake, yeah. right? Where the cupcake is a literal, I'm going to feed you because yeah. you have a need. That's instrumental support. A second kind is informational support, where you're hungry and I tell you how to get the cupcakes, mm -hmm. directions to the cupcake situation. Mm -hmm. The third is emotional support, where mm -hmm. you say you're hungry, hungry and I say, oh, that sounds really hard. <laughs> I know, that's really hard. Mm. And 21-year-old me, for whom we wrote this book and put the bibliography in, is like, that doesn't sound like it's of any value at all. But it turns out... It's actually really it's important. It's actually the thing that we need. It's food and it's water it and it's shelter. It is the most important yeah. cupcake we give and receive yeah. in relationships. It's a very fancy cupcake. Super briefly, the fourth kind of social support we give and receive you should almost never use. It's called appraisal support. Yeah. And it's where if you tell me you're hungry, I tell you my opinion about the things that are wrong with you that are preventing you from getting your hands on cupcakes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a uh, therapist. My therapist is allowed to give me appraisal support. Mm -hmm. Amelia maybe sometimes can give me appraisal support and I won't be mad. Oh, usually I only do that if it's in my personal best interest. Yeah. Yeah. Like so if, yeah. If, if Amelia frames my information about my shortcomings that are standing between me and hungry, me and the cupcakes I want, she frames it as like, if you can't get to the cupcakes, then you're going to be a total bitch. Yeah. And so I need you to understand this about yourself so yeah. that you can get the cupcakes so that you can stop being a bitch. Yeah. So it takes a very specific, deeply trusting relationship. Or the kind of thing that has actually, this is not literally true, but metaphorically has happened in the past, where you're like, you refuse to accept the fact that you're hungry. And I'm like, your blood sugar is low and you need to eat. And you're like, I'm just gonna, I'm just mad at the world. And I'm like, no, your blood sugar is low and you need to eat. 
that's appraisal support where it's yeah yeah and, that's appraisal support and if it's a metaphorical hunger and a metaphorical cupcake that needs to be eaten uh, yeah. it, it's the same trust has to already exist in yes. a relationship this is a bubble of love relationship if you can give and receive appraisal support that's, yeah then you're already good like yeah. you don't need to know the rest of the stuff about trust yeah if there's somebody in your life who you can point out like you're not mad at me because I scratched your car. You're mad at me because your blood sugar is low. If there's somebody in your life you can have that conversation with and they'll trust you that you're right and go eat a cupcake in order to make themselves not cranky at you, that's, yeah. that's, that's somebody in your bubble. And just to get a little more literal, the stand-in here for blood sugar, blood sugar, it's not literally blood sugar we're mm -hmm. talking about. We're saying you're being cranky like this because you are profoundly lonely yeah. and you are trying to shut yourself out from other people because the lonelier a person gets, the more social connection actually feels like a threat. Yes. Like your brain responds to social connection yeah. as if it were a threat instead yeah. of a form of safety because yeah. loneliness is a motherfucker. It's like an, um, uh, an autoimmune disease yeah. basically. So, and it's so when a person is so kind to you as to point out the fact that you are lonely, it feels like an enormous threat. Yeah. So the biggest, most important cupcake we give and receive is emotional support, though. Kindness and compassion. Turning toward especially difficult feelings with mm -hmm. kindness and compassion yeah. is the most important thing we give and receive in relationships. Informational support is important. Instrumental support is absolutely essential. Mm -hmm. And emotional support is the most important cupcake we give and receive. Yeah. So we come back to the situation where suppose, suppose, I trust... My part, this is Emily. I trust Amelia a little bit. We just met. I give her one cupcake. We both got three and she walks away. Yeah. Mm. Thanks for the three cupcakes. We both are better off. We haven't learned anything about my trustworthiness. Right. So that when I have the chance to play the game again, am I going to feel super awesome about like, or am I just going to take my four cupcakes and go home? Yeah, you might do that. Or even worse. Because instead of just like giving me one and now you've got three and I've got three, but you're still down from the four you might have had. If there's the potential for more cup, there's a potential for more cupcakes. Maybe it's worth taking a risk to get that. And then the person either shows up for the more cupcakes or not. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I like the example of like, I give you two. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have two left. You mm -hmm. now have... Two. Oh, six. now six? Because you they multiplied by three. We're, and if you give me two back, I didn't lose anything. No. So I might be willing right. to trust you again. Mm -hmm. Then you really learn something about me and the choice that I make. Will I give something up that I had in order to balance things out so we have the same? So that it comes back. Yeah. yeah. But suppose here is the absolute worst case scenario. I'm a big hearted, open, warm person. And I just give all four of my cupcakes. And now she has 12 cupcakes. Thanks for the cupcakes, bitch. I'm and out. she just like leaves. Mm -hmm. This is the technical definition of betrayal, betrayal. Yeah. of trust yeah. in a relationship. And I mean, in this example, like you had four cupcakes. Now you don't have four cupcakes. Mm -hmm. uh, who cares? But when I was talking about this with another group of students at Smith, at T, uh, and I said, okay, so imagine like you play this game in a psych lab in a basement somewhere, and then you go back to your house and you say to your friends, I had these four cupcakes, I traded them, the person had 12, and they jetted, they just left, and I lost all of my cupcakes. What do your friends say and do then? And this one student mm. in the back raised her hand and said, um, ask you why you trusted that person with all your cupcakes? 
And that's that's Whoa. when I was like, okay, wow. <laughs> and I, I changed the way I asked that question now. What would your friends say and do for you as their best selves? Because a lot of us are surrounded by people who judge and blame us when we are betrayed by someone else. When in fact, non-betrayal, full trust and trustworthiness is how it's supposed to work. It is the default state yeah. for humanity. So what's happened is this person has gone back to their friends and described this cupcake experiment. And this feeling they have about the, how the experiment went is now their cupcake. And they hand this cupcake of their feelings over to their friends. And if their friend responds, well, why did you trust that person with your cupcake? That is them not giving back the cupcakes that they were offered. They're just redoing the same thing that just happened. Like they another just layer of betrayal. Dole away the feeling. But let's say in a best case scenario, this student goes home and says, I had this experience with this cupcake experiment. And that is them offering over this cupcake to their friends. And their friends say, oh my God, that how could that have happened to you? That must be so terrible. Tell us more about it. I went through the same thing the other day and it happened to me too. And here's how I felt. And let's all make our own cupcakes together. Let's have a cupcake baking party. Yeah. That, that is, is the best case. Yeah. In, That's in a that, bubble of love relationship. In that situation, we can see how that theory about how the cupcakes triple as soon as you offer them. That actually happens. It's just a metaphor, of course, but or what happens when the energy. we offer and share that kind of energy with each other, it actually does increase. So as you're assessing your relationships and thinking about who is in my bubble of love, who can I give and receive with, who is going to like not have it be a toxic energy draining relationship, but a renewing and safety bubble kind of relationship, ask yourself, is this a person who will turn toward my difficult feelings with kindness and compassion? And can I turn toward their feelings, their difficult feelings with kindness and compassion? That's a bubble of love relationship because that's where trust happens. Should we talk now about the question we get all the time from journalists? What if there's no one in my bubble? What if there's no one in my life I can turn to? I guess, I guess we have to. We get asked this when we talk about the bubble. We get asked this. Yeah. Yeah. Much more often than I would have anticipated because, I mean... Women have, there's a stereotype about women going to the bathroom together and like chatting with their girlfriends and going out to brunch and the white girls with the salmon and the, you know, French toast and whatever. Um, mimosas. I, mimosas, that's what it is. And because that is a stereotype that exists about women and their desire for an open commitment to connection, I would have not expected this to be so common. But yeah. we do get asked, what if there's nobody in my bubble? What if there's nobody like that in my life? Um, and our first response, the first couple of times we were dumb. asked this was, well, you need to get some people you get in your better bubble. people, dude. But then we thought about our actual life and our actual relationship. <laughs> and our relationship was not always a bubble relationship. Our relationship was, it's been, look, we're in our forties and people have complicated <laughs> lives and yeah. So we had to, we had to build a bubble. Yeah. And it turns out that like Amelia's, yeah. Amelia's instinct to like, if she has four cupcakes, she gives one so that now you both have three and we're done. Is, oh my God. That's, you just, you just gave away a lot right there. That's, uh, now Did you, you know as you were saying it, a lot that's what you were about doing? Amelia. No, I just, it was just seemed to make the most sense like, to me, but I guess it's not. Of course it's what seemed to make the most sense yeah. to you because now right. we're done. <laughs> I did my part, now we're done. <laughs> yeah. Now take your cupcakes and go out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it turns <laughs> out that uh, there are probably people in your life 
also want this relationship. They, they are worried that you are too busy, that you got kids now and your, your schedule's packed. You just got a promotion at work and you don't want to deal with their problems. You, you, they don't want to burden you the same way that you're thinking that your friends are so busy and you don't want to burden them. The thing is that when you turn toward each other's difficult emotions with kindness and compassion, it doesn't take away cupcakes from anybody. It actually increases everyone's feeling of safety and connection. And I mean, that is how... When and only when it is reciprocated. Yes. Exactly. But people want to reciprocate. People, if you take the first step, they'll be so glad you did. They'll be so glad you did. People will totally respond if they know even a little bit about how. Yeah. There's there's people in your life who are just as thirsty for this as you are. So, bubble of love relationships, characteristic number one, trust. Yeah. If you yeah. don't have it now, if your instinct hearing about the trust game was to go, why would I ever give anyone any cupcakes? Yeah. It's buildable skill. It's a learnable skill. Yeah. Some people, it comes more naturally than to others, yes. either for, there's a little bit of a like sort of natural proneness personality component. Yeah. And there's a whole lot of like family uh-huh. of origin. What yeah. did you learn? Yeah. Component, which means it is because you learned it, that you can learn something else. Yeah. So trust, characteristic number it, one. It does take that initial moment of investment where you say, here's a cupcake. What's going to happen? But in the research, overwhelmingly what happens is somebody gives some cupcakes back, too. Yeah, you don't that's, lose. That's just what people do. The more you trust, the more you get back. Yeah. And that sounds airy-fairy, but it's the math. It is literal math. Yeah. It's, it's actually <laughs> Thank like, you, there's behavioral ex- economics yeah, and no, game theory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's evidence. So what's characteristic number two? Uh, connected knowing. Connected knowing is a way of understanding the world that stands in contrast to separate knowing. And I have only just now realized that this is another example of us using science to justify something that comes intuitively <laughs> to most people. Yeah. Because we're literally like, about science that's versus not intuition. A thing, is it? Yeah. Uh, so, separate knowing is the way of understanding the world that you were probably taught from elementary school. Ever since the Enlightenment and the possibility of empirical evidence and measuring how the world functions and proving things that are true by extracting an idea from its context. Pause. Thunder came to say hi. Hello, Hello Thunderbear. Hi, Boobergal. Are you in your underwear? Yeah. Thunderbear in her underwear. She just... Anyway, separate knowing. Separate knowing. <laughs> it's the way you were probably taught to think about the world since elementary school, since the Enlightenment, our educational system has really been about requiring people to measure a small little piece of an idea outside of its original context and then test that, probe that idea. Well, what if it's not true? What if I do this to it? How can I prove this wrong? How can I break this down? The shorthand for the separate knowing is the doubting game. Right. Assume it's wrong and find the ways it's wrong. Yeah. And if you've ever had a conversation with a mansplainer, you know what it's like to talk to someone who's a separate knower. I'm going to assume you're wrong, and I'm going to try and, like, put, poke yeah. at all the ways you could potentially be wrong. Well, but what about this? And you didn't think about that. And well, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, the nitpickers. That's and the separate like, knowing. Yeah. And you know what? That's a really important and powerful way to explore the world. Yeah. Logic and science are... The reason most of your schooling was about logic and science is because it is so powerful. Yes, and it has made the world a much better place. Like yes. Science. It is what science is. However, yeah, there's another way of understanding the world that gets undervalued, but we're going to talk to you about how valuable it actually is. And that second way of understanding the world is connected knowing. Connected knowing 
is the opposite of the doubting game. It's where you take an idea that someone has and you imagine, hmm, what if that is true? What would that believing mean? game. Yeah. Uh, so you keep it in the context of that person's life. And you try to imagine what it would be like if that thing that they said was as true for you as it is for them. And if you've ever had a conversation with someone who's a connected knower, you know how much more gratifying it is when someone <laughs> believes that what you have to say is fundamentally true. Is there more we need to say about connected knowing? Connected knowing. So um, if you had to guess which one of these styles of knowing is more yeah. typical of women. Mm -hmm. It's connected knowing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And separate knowing is more typical Masculine. of men. Obviously, it is not. We are both sort of natural so separate knowers. Very separate knowers. And yet we are both married to men who are both connected, connected knowers. knowers. And knowing this language and being able to differentiate the yeah. ways of knowing the world has been really helpful for me. Yeah. Because separate knowing is coded as masculine. Um, it is more valued it's by the outside better. world. Right. It's inherently better. It seems more trustworthy. If you can understand something and prove it true with facts, it's more rational it's, yes, it's, and logical, and it's or or intellectual. When yes. connected knowing is intensely intellectual, it's really yeah intensely rational because People you have to shift your point of view yes. to see the world the way someone else does. Yeah, it's a kind of labor that is more sophisticated than just the labor of proving something wrong with facts. Yeah. It's imagining a truth. What would it take for this to be true? Yeah. What's different about this person that shows them that the world is this way versus some other way? Right. That's connected knowing. And it is a characteristic of bubble of love relationships. Yeah. We did not know that connected knowing existed mm -hmm. <laughs> before we read the research. No, but learning to do it and understanding the language of it actually makes me a better teacher because it's actually what I always ask my students to do in my intro classes is listen to a piece of music that's unfamiliar to them and just remember that someone else loves this piece of music. It is powerful to them. It shaped their lives. They turn toward that piece of music in times of suffering to soothe their soul. So imagine that there's value in this music, even if you don't immediately perceive it. And the idea of, I, I do want them to evaluate music objectively and pick it apart and demonstrate things to me empirically. I want them to be able to do that, but I want them to do that towards the goal of being able to see a piece of music in its cultural context, in its psychological context, and evaluate it not just on its objective content, but on the fact that it is a piece of someone's life. That's that a really matters. good metaphor. I mean, it's also literally what you do in it's, a classroom. It's, no, it's literally what I do. Yeah. But also... <laughs> Like if a person have that kind of relationship with you where they hear about your life and what matters to you from the point of view of really trying to understand why, you know, Vivaldi would be important to you. Is Vivaldi important at all? No. Okay. Is anybody important? Some, um, let's say Brahms. Brahms. Yeah. I, you know what I know about Brahms? Do, do, do. <laughs> all I know about Brahms. Uh-huh. But you're like Brahms. Who's important to you? Brahms. Yeah. No, Brahms, the 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 uh Brahms Requiem, the second movement. Heartbreaking. Like you I play it for my section in the book about the Brahms Requiem second movement, right? I don't think we included it. In yeah, we had you had to cut it we because cut it, everybody else was like Brahms Requiem, I, I, who, second what? movement. What's the Brahms Requiem? And I've like performed it and it's been like a transformative moment in my life to perform the Brahms Requiem. And people are like, I've never heard of that. Who's Brahms? Why are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's really powerful when somebody can hear you tell a story like that and not stop and be like, Brahms, who's Brahms? And need you to explain and contextualize for them. Yeah. They can do the work of let me put myself in your position. Yeah. Let me try to understand what that was like for you without needing you to justify yes. your whole and on the flip side, being a person who approaches a conversation that way, who approaches a relationship that way, not in terms of challenging what the other person has to say and kind of getting them to prove things are true, but accepting that that's their experience of the world and then imagining what that experience must be like. That's a much nicer way to go about interacting with another human being. And again, separate knowing is more typical of men and connected knowing is more typical of women. So you may well be listening to this and being like, that's what I do every day. <laughs> that is what happens in my most important relationships. And that is what I hunger for, for people to respond to me. And, and why I can do think other people, of the people not do this? I know who in my life responds to me with connected knowing where they like move themselves into my point of view and explore what the world would have to be like for that to be true for, for my world to be true for them too. And there we have it, the two characteristics of bubble of love relationships. Giving is not inherently draining. It can be enormously renewing, energizing. It can be a place of safety. When you create a bubble of love in your life with fellow givers, and those relationships are characterized by deep trust, that is specifically and most importantly, turning toward difficult feelings with kindness and compassion, and also connected knowing, which now that we think about it, is also turning toward <laughs> difficult feelings yeah. with kindness and compassion. Not doubting, not negotiating. Just believing. Not trying to explain, not trying to offer hope even, not trying to be like, well, here's what you need to do, but just feeling your way into connection with that other person. Yeah, that moment in Inside Out where we're boing boing, boing boing, um, is all sad and joy is like, oh no, you shouldn't be sad. Here's all these great things that are actually true. And it doesn't help him at all. And sadness just goes and sits with him and is sad with him. And for some reason, that makes people feel bitter. People ask, you know, why is blues music so sad if people are, shouldn't we sing music that's like uplifting? Nope, nope. Just feeling the feelings, getting to the end of it and feeling it together. That, that actually feels really good. Because feelings are tunnels. You have to go all the way through them to get to the light at the end. And yeah. sometimes they are so dark and difficult that you cannot do it by yourself. Yeah. You need somebody else. That person can't go be in the tunnel with you. They can at least be at the end of the tunnel singing a song that resonates with where you are right now. That's what a siren song is. It is not where can I get to. It is someone singing a song that's like, that's where I am. Yes, that's what you move toward. And as you move, the song changes because where you are is changing. That's and, connected knowing and it's trust. And it works because human beings are designed to function this way. We are not designed to function in isolation independently. We are designed to thrive in connection with others. God damn it. <sighs> the so answer, we read a lot of really Science. intense comparative psychology and affective neuroscience. I had to learn a lot of like statistical things. Yeah. And I had to learn a lot of really detailed neurophysiology that just, I didn't want to know. Just, just so we could find out that the answer is love. God, Jesus. Really? Love? It's really? Yes. Yes. Literally. Yes. So for 2020, as we enter the new year that is going to be a shit show, you're now empowered with what we consider the most important tools. You know how to recognize the difference between your stress and the stressor. 
you can complete the stress response cycle, which is dealing with the stress itself, not necessarily the stressor. You know about your internal monitor, which is the ways that you deal with the stressor. You know about rest and how important it is. Mm -hmm. Specifically, you know about sleep. Mm -hmm. And now you know about the bubble of love, connected knowing and trust, which is how you create giving relationships that are renewing, not draining. Mm -hmm. Maybe above all, you know about human giver syndrome, mm -hmm. which is the characteristic of relationship where one person is a giver and the other person is expected to be entitled and acquisitive and take anything they want mm -hmm. from a giver. So 2020, you're going to rest, you're going to complete the stress response cycle, and you're going to make a list right now of the people who are in your bubble of love. Mm -hmm. And how often do you need to spend time with those people? It's going to vary from person to person, mm -hmm. but get a sense right now of how often do you need engaged connection in the bubble of love? Yeah, try it. Find out how much you like it and how much more you want of it. That is this episode of the Feminist Survival Project 2020. Are you a natural connected knower? Does it surprise you to learn that some people are natural connected knowers <laughs> like it did us? <laughs> like it did us. And do you know for sure, like as we describe this bubble of love, do you relate to Amelia's experience of like, I give you three cupcakes and I have three cupcakes and now we're done? Yeah. Or were you wholeheartedly like, let me give you all four cupcakes right now? Or did were you, you think, like, I'm what, just going to take my cupcakes. What home? kind of moron would hand over four perfectly good cupcakes to a stranger? We want to know your experience. We want to know. So send us an email at feministsurvivalproject2020 at gmail.com. You can follow us on social media at FSP2020 on both Twitter and Instagram. And uh, we'll see you next time. And thank you for listening. That's almost enough cupcakes. <laughs>